This week on the Iowa Watch Connection. I just felt raped. I felt like somebody had just taken everything away from me. Our online presence is convenient, but also dangerous. So my role is to trust people and to love them, and this really challenges that. Any of us can be victims. The days of just being able to have a simple firewall is probably over because of the chance that, you know, that's it. You can think yourself that, well, we're small enough, no one would ever notice us. But what they're doing is they're scanning IP addresses. Cyber identity theft, our topic this week. The Iowa Watch Connection is presented by the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism. Online at iowawatch.org. Here is Jeff Stein. It seems impossible to not be online these days in one form or another. Even the most careful of us can be surprised to see just how broad our digital footprint is. And the more we share online, the more susceptible we are to identity theft. Simpson College journalism students working with Iowa Watch conducted a special reporting project on the topic. Their findings and what went into the effort may surprise you. Lyle Muller is the executive director and editor of the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism. He picks up the story. Elizabeth Bell had been involved in the credit and collections business, so she knew thieves were out there. But her current walk of life, as a United Methodist minister living in Fairfield and tending to three congregations in nearby Van Buren County, gave her another perspective, that of being open to trust, love, and forgiveness. So my role is to trust people and to love them and to, you know, do God's work and look at all people with, with value, and this really challenges that. That was Bell speaking with Madison Wilson, who was working on a special Spring Iowa Watch Simpson College Journalism Reporting Project before Wilson became a member of Simpson's graduating class of 2017. The class reporting project involving seven graduating students taught by assistant professor Mark Siebert, himself a veteran Iowa journalist, picked up a sobering fact. Instances in which someone stole an Iowan's identity jumped 30% in just one year. From a rate of 56 people for every 100,000 Iowans in 2014 to 73 just a year later in 2015. Often, the thefts happened via the Internet. That growth in Iowa, shown in the State Department of Public Safety's latest figures, is happening nationwide, too. As technology evolves, so do the methods thieves use to prey on people who increasingly use the Internet to buy things under a false sense of security about their private financial information. I just felt raped. I felt like somebody had just taken everything away from me because it was totally out of my control. Christy Eichelberger's identity was stolen. Someone used her identity to steal $1,300 on things she never buys. And here I am, this housewife. That's and, the beginning you know, of a video report Wilson did for Iowa Watch. The report brings together information she and her colleagues in the reporting project amass. For example, Susan Kerr, a consumer protection investigator with the Iowa Attorney General's Office, told the reporting team cybersecurity breaches are the new way of stealing consumer information. That old way, rummaging through your mail when it is in an accessible place, such as your mailbox. More sophisticated methods of stealing mean you need more sophisticated methods of protecting your private information, like a banking account number, 
a medical record available online. Here's Kevin Anderson, Director of Enterprise Information Protection at Farm Bureau Insurance. The days of just being able to have a simple firewall that you get from Mediacom and thinking that's good enough for business is probably over because of the chance that, you know, that's it. You can think yourself that, oh, well, we're small enough, no one would ever notice us. But what they're doing is they're scanning IP addresses. So if they find a vulnerability, they'll then make the determination whether it's worth their time to try and hack you based off of potentially what kind of money they can make off of hacking you in the first place. Anderson made the comments when talking with reporting team members Clayton Bowers and Eric Bogner. It was during that conversation that Anderson brought up something you might not know. Cybersecurity experts work extra hard to make sure a company employee is not an unwitting part of a theft attempt. I'll be honest, the biggest thing that we have challenges with really is, is our employees. And it's not because they're not good and not because they're trying to do the right thing. The hackers have become extremely sophisticated in the malware and the phishing campaigns that they do. They, they crawl social media. They look for information about your CFO or CEO on corporate websites. And then they try and target in emails to various members of um, your organization to try and either convince them to go on, click on a link. Um, sometimes those links go to authentication pages that look exactly like Office 365 or, or, or Gmail or something like that, but it's not. Instead, they're just capturing your credentials. Or it can be situations where when you click on the link, you're getting a malware pulled down or something like that that basically allows them as a point of entry into your domain. Also a concern, Anderson said, is that cyber thieves try to tempt less than ideal employees to help hack the company. Joining Bowers, Bogner, and Wilson compiling this report were Ashley Smith, Stephanie Woodruff, Alex Kirkpatrick, and Hunter Hilligus. We take you back to that report by Madison Wilson. Experts say the best way to protect yourself is prevention. Use a strong password, don't click on links that look suspicious, and regularly check your bank account if you think you've been hacked. Reporting for Iowa Watch, I'm Madison Wilson. I'm speaking now with Madison Wilson, and Madison interviewed four people whose identity had been stolen. Madison, talk a little bit about what you learned in general from these interviews. So these interviews were very, very eye-opening. Um, I learned that their experience, these victims' experiences were very, um, ca caused a lot of anxiety and devastation and made a huge impact on each of these individuals' lives. And it's something that I didn't realize was so serious in Iowa and even in the country. Um, so that was probably the one thing that I took away most from doing these interviews. One of the people you interviewed is Elizabeth Bell, a United Methodist pastor. And we're going to listen to a little bit about what she had to say. So my role is to trust people and to love them and to you know do God's work and look at all people with with value and this really challenges that now she was in a unique position because she had this role she had to play as a pastor did she talk with you about that more yeah so um, as a pastor she kind of talked to me about how challenging it was for her to kind of accept that this happened and that you know, it's hard for her to, tr as a pastor, she has to trust people and love them and do God's work. And that was really challenging for her throughout this process. And um, even now, she's 
she's even like investigating her own experience and kind of trying to figure out who her hackers were so she can just come to this conclusion and have this closure in her life. And she has this unique background because she, before she was a pastor, worked actually in the credit industry. Yeah, so she um, formerly worked in credit and collections before becoming a clergy. So she um, has all of these skills in researching and um, doing, you know, credit processes and things like that. So um, she knows how it works, and she's willing to do the research and investigate her own experience and um, figure out who her hackers were, no matter how long it takes. So that that's something that's just very um, crazy to see that. She, it, she, it, this is how much it impacted her, that she's willing to, you know, continue this process. And Another person you talked to is Christy Eichelberger of Altoona, whose identity was stolen 14 years ago, and we have audio from her. I just felt raped. I felt like somebody had just taken everything away from me because it was totally out of my control. And here I am, this housewife, and, you know, I didn't even know what these virtual game pieces were, let alone it wouldn't be something that I would be buying in the middle of the night. Interestingly, this was 14 years ago, but she's, it still seems fresh in her mind. Did it seem that way to you in the interviews? She kind of talked about how hackers are getting smarter and smarter and smarter. And so that was just like, to hear that was like, she's right. Um, everything's online now and we've, technology has grown and so we've got to be more cautious about what passwords we're using and what we're saving in our accounts and you know logging out of our accounts and things like that. So because of this happening 14 years ago, she's more cautious about that now. Um, and she understands and she knows. So to get that perspective from her was just very interesting and um, informative. Was it difficult to get these people to talk to you about this? Not at all. Um, all of my um, interview sources were very willing to talk to me, um, very open about it, shared, you know, all of the details. Um, and I think that's the thing. It's, it's just like to hear, I think they want help with it. You know, they, we need to come to some kind of understanding of that this is happening and like we need to do something about it. Um, and it is a problem and we can't just shove it aside. Um, technology is growing, like I said before, and so we need to be careful about what we're doing. Um, so it was very awesome to have these people open up and talk to me about their experiences. You talked with a couple of other people. Tell us a little bit about their stories. Yeah, so I talked to um, Megan Stuffelbeam. She's from uh, Des Moines, Iowa. She's 29 years old. She uh, saw $200 get stolen from her bank account in a six-hour time period with one transaction made in California and another in Ohio. So um, she had no idea how it happened. Her bank couldn't give her any, they didn't know how it happened. So she wasn't able to really figure that out. Um, but she did get her money refunded to her within a couple of months. And um, she's now very cautious about um, being online and using, I know that she doesn't like to use PayPal because um, she's just worried about like security precautions and things like that. But I think that's with any um, bank or account that you use, I suppose. And then um, Allison Nielsen was another um, interview source. Um, she is 25 years old and she's 
from uh, Storm Lake, but she lives in Sioux Falls, South Dakota right now. But this actually happened to her when she was in Chicago. She was moving from one apartment to another in Chicago, and her social security information got stolen. Again, they're not really sure how. Um, I believe uh, she got a phone call from her U.S. bank about um, suspicious activity, and so someone had opened up many accounts in her name and um, I think she even said that one of the people or persons I guess um, spelt her name wrong so she was very like shocked that these um, banks weren't um, double checking before opening up a card um, that it was actually her who was you know trying to open up this card so um, her experience was very interesting to hear Um, And her mom helped her a lot, you know, with the paperwork and figuring out all of that stuff because she was, you know, working full time. So to do all of that on top of working is very difficult. Um, And even now, she's very hesitant to give out information. You know, I would be too. Um, Very hesitant, is just very careful about where, you know, where she's applying to online and what she's doing with her personal information. Madison Wilson, one of the reporters who participated in a Simpson College journalism project in spring 2017. Coming up, we'll hear from other students who participated in the project. That's next as the Iowa Watch Connection continues. Support for the Iowa Watch Connection comes from the Iowa Insurance Division's Iowa Fraud Fighters Program. This statewide initiative educates Iowans on how to double check before they invest and shield their savings from scammers. Thousands of Iowans have attended fraud fighter forums across the state to learn about new scams circulating in their area and how to stay a step ahead of fraudsters. Learn how to fight fraud and why it is important to report scams at iowafraudfighters.gov. The Iowa Watch Connection radio program is part of a statewide audience engagement project organized by the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, an independent, nonprofit, nonpartisan news organization. The center is dedicated to producing high-quality investigative and community affairs journalism in Iowa, while also training journalism students to do this work at a high ethical level. The center is found online at iowawatch.org. Welcome back to the Iowa Watch Connection. I'm Jeff Stein. We continue our discussion of cyber theft by talking with more of the students who were part of the Simpson College Reporting Project. Facilitating the conversation, here again is Lyle Muller, Executive Director and Editor of the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism. What was the big thing you learned in some of those podcast interviews that you guys were doing? I think I learned how big of a scale and how hard to pin down hacking really is. Because talking to Kevin Anderson from the Farm Bureau, he talked about how a lot of the hackers are from China or Russia and honestly, there's not really a lot our legislature can do for that. So I learned where it's coming from, kind of, and that the guys that investigate the hacking can actually find out, due to patterns in the hackers' tendencies, where they're from. So Chinese guys will have a different tendency, typically, than anonymous or the Russians do. 
Alex, you were looking at some of the laws in Iowa, and one of the things that you were writing about was how it's hard to keep up with hacking with the laws. Why is that? I think a large part in that is because law enforcement officials aren't adequately trained to handle this type of situation, this type of crime. When they go into law enforcement, they think about the physical crime. But a large problem, one of the legislators told me, was that law enforcement officials um, tend to deal with it in the way they would physical crime. They tend to attribute activity to um, uh, a, a certain crime like they would a physical crime, such as, you know, if someone were to break into a bank and steal, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, then they can trace that f far easier than they can, you know, as opposed to someone who's in Russia who can hack into a computer. They have to have physical evidence for that, and they just don't know how to trace that. I want to go around the horn. Can each of you talk about what was the most difficult thing to learn in this? And we'll start with you, Stephanie. Um, I think the most difficult thing was getting down statistics. Um, finding statistics was really difficult, and I had to go through a lot of people to be able to find the right numbers. And even when they would give me numbers, they'd uh, give me different numbers. So I had to figure out who were victims and who were not victims, who were uh, businesses. And so they broke it down for me, but definitely getting statistics. Eric? I think the most difficult part for us was setting up interviews with people because they had hectic schedules and a couple of the interviews we were trying to schedule right near spring break and then they rescheduled and a couple of people ended up kind of backing out and not getting back to us or just flat out saying no. So just the scramble around finding people to talk to was the most difficult. For me, I think it was difficult to find an answer um, to a question that I had in mind. When I went into the story, I hoped that legislators would give me a direct answer. This is what they're doing to tackle the problem. But when there came a hole and when there came to be um, kind of an answer, like a political answer that they didn't directly answer, then that was kind of frustrating to write around and I didn't know exactly how to tackle that problem. But that then became the story was that Instead of saying, this is what I was doing to tackle the problem, the story became, this is how I was failing to tackle the problem. I think the most challenging thing for me was just getting all of the details for the story. Um, I interviewed victims of identity theft, and so um, a lot of it was, you know, figuring out how they even find out about how the hackers, you know, got into their accounts and things like that. So just, you know, hashing out the details and... Um, talking to them constantly and keeping in touch with them constantly to get those details in the story and do accurate reporting. I would say getting the answers to the questions we came in with was probably the most difficult because we came in with a certain list of questions that most of the people didn't want to disclose. And so then we had to think almost on the fly of questions that would not only be interesting to an audience but would also give us information that was somewhat valuable. Why is it the people didn't want to answer the questions? Well, most of it had to do with uh, specific like money kind of things. And so when we asked, like, how much do you spend on this or specifics about what they do to protect it, a lot of it was that they don't want to disclose exactly how they go about protecting their information because then if a hacker were listening to this program, they could possibly think, oh, well, now I know what they do, so I'm going to go in and get behind their doors because I know their plan. I want to toss this out to all of you. Um, have you changed your habits? I think it's more of a, 
an awareness situation where we know and we're cognizant of the problem that's happening, but at the same time, we just need to be preventative of, the, of those measures. So it's not necessarily taking proactive measures of of in, installing these programs or, or whatever to prevent something like this happening. It's just being aware that it could happen. And so what do Iowans need to know? What do you think is the uptick from this report that they need to know most? Uh, that this is a bigger deal than it may seem. Uh, people don't realize it until you break out the numbers and you talk to different people about um, what is happening in Iowa to protect people, and it turns out there's not as much going on as people would probably hope for. Agreement? Yeah, if I could just add to that, I think the conclusion that we came to was in large part that media report on just the big kinds of hacks from Yahoo, from Target, the ones that reached the billion dollar mark, but it happens every day, it happens a lot, and that tends to accumulate. It happens a lot in rural Iowa, which is um, something that we've interviewed. We've interviewed a lot of people from like Fairfield and Altoona, and those are just smaller towns, but it does happen. And I think the biggest takeaway for Iowans is that this isn't isolated. This isn't something that just happens to people on the West Coast or the East Coast. This is something that can happen to any one of us, and it's almost random. People just, it randomly happens to them. We had a classmate who had this happen to her last year. And so I think what they need to know is that it can happen to you and you should make sure everything you have is password protected and you don't write your passwords down and that you just are more conscious, like Alex said, of how you conduct yourself online. Not to kind of sound like a pessimist, but more of a comforting tone to if you get your identity stolen, don't think you did something wrong because hackers are just way more advanced than we can even comprehend at this point to where you can do everything right or that we advise and you could still get hacked. It's truly just luck of the draw, I guess, if you get hacked or not. Lyle Muller, executive director and editor of the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, speaking with the Simpson College students who conducted this reporting project in spring 2017. And that brings us to the close of this week's program. I'm Jeff Stein. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you'll make the Iowa Watch Connection again next week. The Iowa Watch Connection is a copyrighted presentation of the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, which is solely responsible for its content. For more information about the center, including how you can contribute so high-quality investigative and community affairs journalism and student training can continue, go online, iowawatch.org.